Welcome. I'm glad you're here. If you're a visitor, we welcome you to Crossing Community Church. And if you're not, we still welcome you. And if you happen to have a Bible, we're going to continue in our study of what we call the Book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church at Rome. If you have one of those electronic-y things, please pull it out and turn to Romans chapter 5. So a quick recap, perhaps. Romans. We've seen that the theme of Romans, the Book of Romans, is the righteousness of God. And we've this section, we're going to end with chapter 5 today, is this, this first part, that righteousness is imputed, it's given to the believer. We saw last week that this example of righteousness, Abram, and Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was put to his account that he would be righteous. Because throughout the book of Romans and the New Testament, it says, for by grace you are saved through faith, that belief in Jesus and what he has done on the cross, his work on the cross, that righteousness of Jesus, God in flesh, will be credited to your account. So today, we're going to look at some of these results of righteousness, and hopefully you'll follow with me. I'll not as much scripture to read through, so we'll just read it in a few chunks, and please uh, read the first half with me, and then we'll pray and we'll get going, okay? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in the hope, in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. For Christ, while we were yet helpless, at the right time, died on behalf of the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man. Though perhaps for a good man, the good man, someone would dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on behalf of us. Much more than having been justified now by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received the, res- uh, the reconciliation. Uh, join with me in prayer on this. Father, I do pray again that uh, you would be with me today, that folks would hear you, not me. They would hear your words, help me to um, reveal them, explain them well, so that your Holy Spirit, uh, God, that you might reveal and illumine the hearts and minds of those here. We pray for those that don't know you as Savior yet. They're not your child. They're not a member of the body. They're, um, they're lost. We pray that, God, that you would convict them, and that they would understand that you, God, love them and sent Jesus for them, and that through Jesus they might be forgiven uh, for all eternity, and they might be able to understand what's being said today and taught today. I pray that we can give you uh, this glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Moving on. Let me get my little sheet here. All righty. Now, this, we're going to look at this first section, go back, and as we have before, just take the text and make a few comments, and I've highlighted a few things for you. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Some people, some have translated this, oh, uh, let us have peace, and let us 
uh, stand. Let us. But no, as we have it, once you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, as Savior, the one who died for you, you have peace. That's done. That's dusted. The bill is signed off. You don't owe any more. You won't get any more notices from the IRS that you owe a little bit more money. You won't get anything from the bank that says that you owe more. That you have peace with God. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this word exult, I kept it there. What is the word exult? Well, it's sometimes translated glory, which kind of gets confusing. We glory in hope of the glory, you know. It's glory. It is the idea of living with your head held high. That's the word. It's, it's that uh, allowable, not arrogance, but boldness that we have in Jesus. You know, we talk about being arrogant and people, you know, swagger nowadays. But this is one time that you can. Why? Because you're not, you're not glorying, you're not exulting in your name or what you've done, but what God has done through Jesus. You're reveling in what Jesus has done. It's like a hot tub. Oh, well, some of you know I won't get into that. It's like a hot tub. Some of you love hot tubs. Some of you don't. If you have a hot tub, uh, like the Sarkissians, where they used to keep theirs like a thousand degrees, and you and you you know and you dip into the hot tub, and, and the bubbles start, and just it goes all over the body. It's all them little parts of your body, right? You're exulting in that. You're reveling that in that. We should be exulting glorying, reveling in the hope of the glory of God. And when we talk about hope, it's, it's important to understand this. Hope in the original and in Scripture is not, gosh, I hope the Sixers win at least six games next season. Or, gosh, I hope that the Eagles might make the playoffs. Maybe, 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 maybe. Hope is expectation. It's to expect something to happen. Like in the old days, in the traditional times, modern world doesn't have this, women would prepare a hope chest with linens and fabrics and all that sort of stuff in expectation that they would marry. It wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, maybe I will, maybe I won't. It was you would expect to. This is the hope we have in the glory of God. When you trust in Jesus, you don't, oh, maybe he'll save me, maybe he won't. It is an expectation that he will do what he says he's done. And not only this, we exult in tribulations, those hard things that we have, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. We saw the negative. To have proven characters has something that's tested. And in chapter 1 of Romans, we saw tested and failed. And we, this is tested and, and succeeded. Now, I have here... My father, one, a Father's Day present. Ah, okay. From my son who happens to be here today. A channel lock. Yes, yeah, see, this is, this is a channel lock. See what this is? This is not. This is Brand X. This is actually not even the, the clone because I threw it out. I was so unhappy. And a channel lock. This is proudly made in the United States of America in Meadville, PA, PA Pennsylvania. And this is made elsewhere. Let's just say that. Okay. And, and this has high-carbon C1080 steel for superior performance. And it is. You know why? Because if you look at these little groovies here, they're heat-treated. This, this excessive fire on here, and they have an undercut groove and so forth. 
And not only that, now that we have lasers, how they do this, I don't know. It's laser-hardened. This one is not. This is crummy old low-carbon steel with some chrome slapped on it and the plating pumped down the Yangtze River, probably. I don't know. But here's what happens. If you take one of these, as I know from experience, and you set that channel lock and you, and you put some torque on that, what happens is the whole thing deforms. That's because this is tested and failed. This has been tested and proven because it's tried in the fire. It's baked until integrated and lasered until it, it's tested and has proven character. And some of you have probably gone through tests and you wonder, why is this? What is this doing to me? That's because it is proving your character. And you put through the fire. Some of you are going through fires that I can't even imagine. We've gone through a couple ourselves. But think of those going through these fires throughout our world at this time, believers in Jesus, that are through tribulation, perseverance, and through perseverance, character, and proven character, hope. Hope doesn't disappoint because of the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We, don't, we need to talk about the Holy Spirit more. This is this whole secret of the Trinity. The word's not mentioned in Scripture, but the Trinity. God in three persons, not three gods. God in three persons. God the Father, God's Son Jesus, who was sent to die on the cross for us, and the Holy Spirit says clearly in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit is in the world to convict of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, to the believer in Jesus, about 32, 33 things happen once you place your faith in him. One, some of the things that happen with the Holy Spirit is you are sealed to the day of your redemption. Boom. You are indwelt with that Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is in you, in your mind and conscience to convict. Romans chapter 8, that Holy Spirit is there to bear witness with your spirit, your human spirit, to, to affirm that you are a child of God. That's why the Holy Spirit's there. All righty? And that's why we have them. And we need it. Kind of talk to them and give them the respect more. Okay. Now, a couple more texts we have here. One of the most precious portions of our sections of, of the Bible here. It's so simple, like the Gospel of John and many of John's letters, but deep and profound when you look at it. We were helpless. But at that right time, Galatians 4, 4, Christ came to die for us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. The old, you know, would you take a bullet? That's supposed to be the old Secret Service CIA guys, you know, they jump in front of the president. Uh, I'm not sure that would happen anymore, not simply because of our presidential candidates, but because of, because of the character of, our, uh, of, of people today. Would you die for a good man? Would you Substitute yourself, you know, Dickens' famous Tale of Two Cities. Would you do that? Would you even dare to die for a good man? God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Jesus died for us. Not while we were good, not while we were turning from our sin, not while we were trying to be good, but while we were still sinners. He, he demonstrated, he showed his love for us that he died on our behalf. How can you say much more about that except that? So, much more, having been justified, we've been saved from wrath through him. There will be wrath. There will be judgment, the wrath of God. All righty? But we have been saved from that. And, moving on, 
Why? Because we, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received, sorry about that, the reconciliation. What is reconciliation? The word kept, started as uh, to count out coins. Because like reconcile accounts. Reconciling is to have people turn towards. God has turned towards us by sending Jesus, his son, to die for us. Now he asks that we turn towards him. Receive him in faith that we might be reconciled. The coins counted out and the accounts made clear and the accounts settled. Uh, you could say a lot more about reconciliation. Second Corinthians chapter 5, you can study your there. Now, let's skip ahead to this. The second part of Romans chapter 5 basically deals with how did we get into this mess, right? And how does God get us out? So, let's uh, read some of the scripture to the end. Then we'll jump back in it. On account of this, just as through one man sin came into the world, and through sin death, even so death went through to all men, as all having sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, or put to the account, not having a law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the manner of transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But not as a transgression, so also is this graced gift. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to the many. And the gift is not as, did I, yeah, it's theirs. And the gift is not as through the one who sinned, for on the one hand, the judgment from one to condemnation, but on the other, the grace gift out of many transgressions to an act of righteousness. Oop, there it is, sorry. Four. If by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more the ones receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So, therefore, as through the one transgression that resulted to all men to condemnation, even so, through the one act of righteousness resulted unto all men the justification of life. For um, as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners... Even so, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law entered in order that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace superabounded in order that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, how do we get into this mess? Um, On account of this, As through one man, sin came into the world, and through sin, death. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit more in just a couple of slides here, okay? But the one man, sin came into the world, Adam. Now, skip this clause for a minute, all righty? Skip this here. Because Paul does, he does this, he runs into big statements and doesn't finish sentences, and he invents words. It's really, really difficult at times. So, jump from here. Even so, death went through to all men as all having sinned. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam till Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the manner of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay. Uh, I believe we're going to be, get teaching on the book of Genesis to come, so I'm not going to steal any thunder. Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, 
Adam, Eve, in the garden, all right? As through one man, sin came into the world. And through sin, death. That's the key thing. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6. Spiritual death, being separated from God. And physical death, ultimately, as our bodies decay, all right? Now, it came to all men. Now, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even though the law hadn't come. Remember, we talked about the law hadn't come until Moses. Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed or put to the account, not having a law, all right? 300 years ago, there wasn't anything like gasoline. Now there's gasoline. When I was growing up, there was leaded gasoline. They found out, you know, it was putting a big hole in the ozone layer, so we invent unleaded gasoline. And you don't see them anymore, but all my gas pumps had posters on there. It is a federal offense, $5,000 fine, to introduce leaded gasoline into an unleaded car. Okay? Until that law was passed, uh, you couldn't be a lawbreaker. But now that the law is there, you're a lawbreaker because there's that law. But Paul goes on to say here, too, that um, death reigned from Adam to Moses. So death is in this world, even those who had not sinned in the manner of transgression of Adam. All righty? So death reigned. Now, what are we talking about here? Death reigns in this world, even those over those that didn't sin like Adam. That is, disobey God, transgress. Babies, children, those, death reigns in their lives. They do die, even though they hadn't sinned after Adam's likeness. It's, it's interesting, you read the... Uh, commentaries in old Greek tools, they say, death reigns over idiots and imbeciles, as well as infants. And I'm thinking, uh, we wouldn't use those words today, but I, their point's well taken. Those that cannot discern, death still reigns over them. Uh, what happens to them eternally? Well, uh, I'll let you argue that out later. I think the scripture gives enough clear indication that God is not going to hold those accountable for things they cannot understand or comprehend. Right? Okay. But death still reigns. They'll still die at age 5, age 25, age 85, right? So, still, the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one to come. Now, that's what I said. Death went through to all men, and death reigned from Adam to Moses. So, this is all about this topic of sin or original sin. Now, um, we come to what we call anthropology, and I'm going to explain this in a minute, right? This isn't anthropology like, you know, the evolution of man and, you know, the Hesperopithecus, Epithecanthropus erectus and Homo habilis and all that sort of stuff. Nor is it about, of course, I took in college, cultural anthropology where we look at different societies and cultures and see what, they, what their practices and language and, and food and that sort of thing is. But the anthropology is the study as we're referring to it, is the study of man or mankind in scriptures. You see, it's important to study scripture, right? We call it Bible doctrine, or we call it theology, okay? And the best way is, quote, biblical theology. You look through the scripture and see what it has to say about God. Now, to organize that, people have done things like systematic theology, and they put it into categories. They're all ologies, Bibliology, which is a study of how the Word of God, the Bible, came to us. Pneumatology, starting with a P, like pneumonia and pneumatic tools. That's, that's the study of the Holy Spirit. So now, this is an area we look at anthropology, the study of man and mankind, and sin itself, 
which is also sometimes called hamartiology, you know, the word for sin in Greek. Now, I have a reason for mentioning all this stuff, and this is this. We do study, but why do we study? I'm trying to get scratched just deep enough so you guys will get interested in studying something, but not too deep so you don't get all bored and cross-eyed, all right? But my, my real point is this. We study not to know the Word of God or the Bible. We study to know the God of the Bible. This is what, why we do these things. If we simply know facts and information, it's just like Wikipedia, a trivial pursuit. And that's all it is. Matthew chapter 3. The wise men, the Magi, that came from Persia, and they arrive at Herod's court. We've come from the east to find the kingdom of the Jews and worship him, for we have seen his star. And so Herod, he's there like, whoa, whoa. Remember, Herod's is the guy, he slaughtered half his own family so he could retain the rule, okay, of uh, Israel. So he, says, so he asks his scribes, his scholars, his experts in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, they say, where's this king of the Jews to be born? And they said, oh, that's easy. And they pull out the scroll of Micah, uh, what we would call Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, but they didn't have verses and numbers. <laughs> Micah 2, see, here it is. It says, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephrata, because out of you will come one from eternity. And so, another guy's writing this down, Herod, and the other. Okay, Bethlehem, uh, Zebulun, right? You know, like Newtown, Pennsylvania, Newtown, Connecticut, there's a bunch there's more than one Bethlehem. No, 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 no. Bethlehem, Ephrata, Zebulun is up in the north. Bethlehem, Ephrata, right down here in Judea. Which, as an aside, is one of the most powerful messianic prophecies showing that Jesus, Jesus is truly, of Nazareth, is truly the Messiah, the sent one. Well, anyway, so, my point here is that these guys knew all those details. They knew those facts. But they didn't. It didn't make a difference in their lives. It didn't change their living. It didn't transform them. It didn't lead them to faith in God who would send his own son to be the Messiah, the deliverer from sin. If that's why we are here in anything, in a a Sunday morning worship service or in a class, then we're wasting our time in giving dishonor to God. We are here to come to know not the Bible, but the God of the Bible. We come to meeting when I was growing up, we went to the meeting, Sunday morning meeting, right? We come to the meeting uh, to meet with God. So uh, that was my sermon for today. Anyway, we're going to move through some of this pretty quickly. So this two, there's more than, more than these, but I'm going to give you two basic views on sin, right? This is called the realistic or rational or seminal view that Adam's sin passed down to us in some kind of hereditary fashion. Adam sinned, all righty? And it came down to us, and as each one of us is born, it comes through to us in some kind of fashion. Uh, not genetically. Uh, is there a DNA? Is there a chromosome? No. If you picked it all apart, you wouldn't find a chromosome because it's a spiritual truth. Just like people say, oh, heaven, I'm going to go up to heaven, I'm going to go down to hell. You know, hell, what's in the middle of the earth? Well, I don't know where hell is. Let's say it was in the middle of the earth. But if you bored down there and you found this environment that's 4 million degrees uh, Fahrenheit and all that, you still wouldn't see hell because it's spiritual. So anyway, that's my point. So that's uh, the first view. The second view is this headship called the representative view or federal headship view. What is this? This is saying that Adam was the one who represented us as he sinned. Eve? No. Eve was deceived, right? 
Adam chose to do this. His own volition. He chose to. And so he represented us. Problems with both views. You can see people would say, wow, how does it pass down genetically? And Adam, well, I didn't pick him to be my representative. I didn't vote for him. So, I mean, how come he gets to stand in for my place? So, some comments on this. We generally evaluate what's fair by our standards, not by God's. Because, to be honest with you, some of God's standards are above us. It's like trying to run the old computer people. Ah, some of you are too old, young to know this. You old Commodore computer with a CPM operating system. And you try to put a, you know, a DOS program, a modern program. It won't run. It won't run on that. And so I'm waiting for the day when I meet the Lord in eternity, and he installs a new operating system up here, and I can finally understand what's going on. And second thing, at the end of the day, for whatever reason, we are sinful. We do do wrong things. We do bad things. Okay? Maybe the consequence socially, culturally, is different for some of these things. If you wound someone with a knife, that's assault. You'll go to jail, you'll go to prison. If you murder them, that's perhaps a greater consequence in our culture, in our laws. But still, it's still a sin. For whatever reason, that's who we are. And sin, this is what you've got to get, is sin is more about who we are than what we do. My wife is going through this. She makes copious notes. Going through this 30-day study with Oswald Chambers. And she wrote this down. She writes stuff down, so I grabbed it off her. We preach to men as if they were conscious of being dying sinners, but they are not. They're having a good time, and all our talk about the need to be born again is from a domain they know nothing about. Because some men try to drown in happiness and worldly pleasures, it doesn't follow that all men are like that. There's nothing attractive about the gospel to the natural man. The only man who finds the gospel attractive is the man who is convicted of sin. Apart from a knowledge of Jesus Christ and apart from being crumpled up by conviction of sin, men have a disposition which keeps them perfectly happy and peaceful. Conviction of sin is produced by the incoming of the Holy Spirit because conscience is promptly made to look at God's demands. Sin is more about who we are than what we do, our actions. Uh, A teacher in the 60s and 70s, Francis Schaeffer, used to talk about autonomy. What he meant by this was that we have this issue where we set ourselves up. We are all that counts. This has been going on for all of history. But it's particularly prevalent in our social media society now where, you know, your Facebook posting. I open up Facebook and I get 35 from you about, you know, what, how good the tapioca was and how it was missing raisins. And then, you know, the next day, it's all about us. It's, we are autonomous. And that goes all the way back to Adam, Eve, Satan, who rebelled against the Lord. And it, it is evident in human society. I mean, we see our little kids and we love them and we see our grandkids. And what's the first word they learn? <laughs> Mine. You know? <laughs> now, are they accountable at that point? That's up to God. <laughs> Do they, does God know? <laughs> he knows these things. But it is, it's indicative of our general attitude that I am the master of my own fate, I'm the captain of my own soul, and I am autonomous. That's what sin is actually about. And so I think we can agree that sin is throughout our society. Okay? So how did Christ get us out of this mess? 
Well, that's where we look at soteriology, from the word for south, for in Greek, Savior, to, to study salvation. But not as a transgression thing. It's kind of awkward to translate this. Transgression is stepping, sin is one word, but transgression is. Here's the boundary line, you know, it says keep out and you go in, okay? And you're driving on the highway, you know, and you're in this lane, and he's in this lane, and he swoos, and he transgressed that lane. That's transgression. That's what Adam's sin was. He transgressed. So also is the grace gift. There's a lot of different words for gift. But this is a special one because Paul invented it. He put the word grace and he put an M-A on. It's a third declension now and all that crap. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a word he invented. It's a grace thing. And that's how special salvation is and the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, by this grace of God and the gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to the many. Now, as you read these scriptures, you'll see many, all, many, all. I think you'll just see that Paul's using, kind of being creative and not always using the same words, that all have sinned, all have sinned, and yet the sacrifice of Christ provides salvation to all, to all who believe, right? As a transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more the ones receiving the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. People talk about, I'm not going to get into all this theology of unlimited atonement. Let me just say this. First uh, John 2.2 2 and others, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for the entire world of all time, all the sins, you know, let the number represented by N, and it's N plus one, all sins. So in that sense, definitely the atonement, the sacrifice is unlimited. But will everyone appropriate it? Will everyone make use of it? No. They, I went down to Home Depot to get something the other week. Um, and they were giving away free hot dogs. Were they available to everybody? Yes. Some of the people more sensible than I, you know, and don't like their toxins. They probably said, no, I don't want that hot dog. But was it available? Now, for Home Depot's sake, if everybody there had taken a hot dog, they would have been bankrupted or they'd have to go to the grocery. I don't know what they do. But it's not that case with the sacrifice of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus was sufficient for everyone. It was, it's there for anyone and everyone to believe. But sadly, not all will believe. Not all will receive. And that's the plain and sad truth. Okay? So, reading through the scripture, you see, the transgression resulted to all men to be condemned. The uh, one act of righteousness, that's Jesus' sacrifice, resulted into all men to life, if they would believe, all righty? Through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Now, real quickly, I'm not going to get into this too. They talk about theories of the atonement. The atonement being a fancy word, Jesus sacrificed on the cross. Well, when he died on the cross, what did he do? What did he accomplish? What exactly happened in this death, and what was the result? What did he do? There are several, uh, quite a few. I just gave you kind of three real uh, important ones. One is this idea of ransom. Now, God um, in Scripture uses the word ransom for Jesus. This is a different idea. This is the idea that Jesus paid a ransom to Satan who held us in bondage. So it's like, you know, 
some kidnapping of some cartel or whatever and pay the ransom money. No. The ran- that puts Satan on a... Satan is a created being who rebelled against God, but by no means is he equal with God. This isn't Star Wars, whatever carnation of the trilogy you watch. This isn't good versus evil, and hopefully good will win. Good is going to win, because good is God. Satan is under him. So it wasn't any ransom paid to Satan as some sort of equal. Another idea that's real popular by a man named Anselm, but then it's, I think it's kind of popular in liberal uh, views of the Bible, the kind of Reader's Digest view, that Jesus' death, like his life, was an example to us. So he gives us the guide by which to live our lives. You know, everybody be happy and grow flowers and, and be peaceful and don't hurt anybody. Share your crayons, okay? So, mm, no. Although there's truth in all of these things, <laughs> yes, he should be our example. But I think that the key is, and I've underlined it here, is substitution. Jesus' death in our place as a substitute to pay the penalty of our sin to a holy God. Because God is love. God is eternal, God is all-powerful, but God is also holy, and he can't bear to have sin there. The only person who could provide that payment was he himself, God. Sounds confusing. He himself, God, perfect, sinless, in a human body who died on the cross so that we might be forgiven. We were, he was the substitute for us. The Hebrews passage I've quoted before, the one sacrifice for all times. Okay? Now, so, as through the transgression, even so, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. All right? Now, we're just about done here. I wanted to emphasize this word that Paul made up. The law entered in order that transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace superabounded. That is, the, uh, that in order that a sin reign through death, grace would reign through righteousness and to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They always, it's an old chestnut growing up that you can't, cannot outgive God. Well, it's true. That the greater the sin, the greater the grace. There's no such thing as an unforgivable sin. The only one mentioned in Scripture is to fail to believe in Jesus, to fail not to trust in Christ, because that will separate you from God forever. But anything that you can think that you've possibly done that would keep you from a relationship with God and from a home with Him forever, Anything that you can think you've possibly done that you wouldn't want to mention to me or anyone in this room, God knows about it already. He saw you do it. He knows about it. And through Jesus, he has forgiven it. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he died on the cross, that he could forgive. And as Jesus pointed out many times in his life, showing us, he says, who do you think, who do you think loves more, the one forgiven, the 50 Dollars are the one forgiven the $50 million. Who do you think loves more? Who do you think has more reason to love that, that Lord and Master? The one forgiven more. So, if you're in that position today and thinking about it, there's nothing you've done that God doesn't already know about. And there's nothing that you've done that He won't forgive because He's already made that payment, that price. A few more comments and then we'll close.
regardless of how we got here, we're all sinners. We are all separated from God. We're all autonomous, living our own lives. We may not think that they're, you know, that bad, but we are living our life apart from God, making our own decisions. And in a way, I mean, in a, I think a, to a very much, a great extent, that's what sin's all about. It's not like, oh, you've done this evil thing. Oh, you've done that evil thing. And we'll talk about sanctification versus sanctimonious in another chapter. Oh, this is, oh, this is terrible. My wife just read this this morning and gave me another little nugget here. Is Satan happy? We can argue about this over your barbecue ribs later. Is Satan happy and pleased? Or unhappy and not pleased when and if and when you sin. Is he? Is he happy and pleased? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. Well, you know about God's feelings. He's grieved. What about Satan? This man, Oswald Chambers, pointed out that Satan is unhappy and upset, distressed. Why? Because if you're like living this, well, I'm a pretty good guy kind of life. I'm pretty good, Joe. I've not done anything really bad. I always stay in my lane on the bypass, you know, and I always, you know, recycle and all those sorts of things. But if, if you're living in a life of sin, some really bad stuff, you might start looking for deliverance from that. And there's only one place you can find that deliverance, and that's from Jesus himself. And so Satan would rather keep us fat and happy, you know, just keep us dumb and dull and, and, and dull in our minds and our spirits and just live in our lives like this instead of allowing this to happen. But whatever we are, we are sinful. But back to this, where the transgression, the times we've stepped over the line over and over again, increased, grace super increased, super abounded, that grace would reign through righteousness and to eternal life. Now, I'll end with this comment. Does grace reign through righteousness to eternal life in your life? Where are you standing before the Lord Jesus? Have you received what he offers freely, this gift of eternal life through Jesus? Understand it. There's nothing you've done or will do that he cannot and will not forgive through what he's done on the cross. Let's pray.